Well, greetings and welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs pharmacy practice. This is Stuart Haynes, and I'm the host of the iFormerX podcast. And if you are a regular listener, please rate our podcast on your favorite podcast app and, and leave a comment. Your feedback is very helpful to us. And we, we don't have an advertising budget, and we rely on word of mouth to spread the word about iFormerX. So if you find our content helpful, tell your colleagues to join iFormerX today. If you are not already a member, check it out on our website at iFormerX.org and sign up today. It's free. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the prevention of cardiovascular disease in patients infected with a human immunodeficiency virus, or HIV. I became a pharmacist in the mid-1980s, and at that time, very little was known about this mysterious disease that was killing men, primarily gay and bisexual men. And with time, we learned the disease was caused by a virus, and we developed treatments to both stop viral replication and prevent the spread of HIV. Frankly, it's a, it's a miracle of modern medicine. Now, don't get me wrong, we have not conquered HIV because many people still suffer and die from acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, but it's not due to a lack of effective treatments. It's due to disparities in available resources and healthcare delivery around the world. But today, in wealthy countries like the United States, the biggest health threat to someone with an HIV infection is not the HIV virus, it's heart disease. It's not entirely clear why HIV infection increases the risk of cardiovascular disease, but it's now considered a risk modifier in treatment guidelines. Until recently, it wasn't entirely clear whether therapies we traditionally use for the prevention of cardiovascular events would work in patients with HIV. Perhaps the pathophysiology is entirely different and different treatment strategies are needed. So the recently published randomized trial to prevent vascular events in HIV, more commonly known as the REPRIEVE study, gives us some critically important insights about the effectiveness of statins in this patient population. And joining me today to talk about the REPRIEVE study are Dr. Joseph Nardolillo and Dr. Laura Lerner. Dr. Nardolillo is no stranger to iFormerX. I believe this is Joe's third time on the iFormerX podcast, and he serves on our editorial board. Dr. Nardo Lillo is clinical assistant professor at the University of Rhode Island College of Pharmacy and a clinical pharmacy specialist with Rhode Island Primary Care. And I'd like to welcome Dr. Lerner as a first-time contributor to iFormerX. Uh, Laura is a PGY2 ambulatory care pharmacy resident, also with Rhode Island Primary Care and is currently completing a variety of ambulatory care and population health experiences throughout small but mighty Rhode Island. So, Joe, Laura, it's great to have you both on the iFormerX podcast today. Welcome. Thanks for having us, Stuart. It's always great to be here and looking forward to our conversation. Thank you, Stuart. I'm looking forward to my first podcast. So, Joe, let's, let's start our discussion by talking about the connection between HIV infection and cardiovascular disease. Uh, now that people are living with HIV for decades, and, and many patients are now in their 50s, 60s, and even their 70s, perhaps 80s, heart disease has become the biggest health threat. And while years ago, people with HIV received most of their care in specialty HIV clinics, 
Today, many patients are stable and their viral loads have been effectively suppressed for years and now receive their routine care from a primary care physician who is not an HIV specialist. So I think we all need to understand why HIV is now considered a risk modifier according to the AHA ACC guidelines. What are the leading explanations as to why HIV infection increases the risk of heart disease? So as most of us know, the AHA ACC multi-society guidelines first noted in 2018 that many of our equations that we use to calculate ASCVD risk have their limitations. While it does account for many traditional risk factors for cardiovascular disease, such as age and smoking status, many known factors that increase ASCVD are missing in these calculators. While we're making decisions about a statin initiation or statin intensification for primary prevention, looking at the totality of our patient's cardiovascular risk is crucial, and risk enhancers can play an important role in making the most informed, shared decision with our patients. All of this leads to the discussion of HIV as a risk enhancer and what we know about the increased risk of cardiovascular disease among patients living with this condition. As you noted, people living with HIV are living longer than ever, which of course comes with an increased ASCVD risk. While we've seen a decreased incidence of new HIV infections in the U.S., down to about 32,000 new cases in 2021, there are some significant aspects of the pathophysiology of HIV and how we manage HIV with antiretroviral therapy, or ART, which can contribute to the overall ASCVD risk of our patients. We know that people living with HIV are at approximately twofold higher risk of developing cardiovascular disease. Individuals with higher viral loads and lower CD4 counts are at an even greater risk of developing a new acute coronary syndrome, even at a younger age. As we've seen in recent years, there's been an increased conversation about the role of inflammation in the development of cardiovascular disease. In HIV, we see higher rates of many inflammatory markers such as IL-6 and TNF-alpha. As inflammation in the body increases, there's increased endothelial dysfunction and subsequently subclinical atherosclerosis and sometimes ASCVD events. Although ART are truly remarkable therapies and ha have allowed clinicians to manage HIV and decrease viral loads down to undetectable levels, they are not without their adverse effects. Particularly, older classes of ART, such as protease inhibitors and some nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, we find higher lipid levels, particularly triglycerides and low-density lipoprotein cholesterol, or LDL, which are known to increase ASCVD. We also see higher rates of metabolic conditions, such as increased serum glucose, which can also contribute to the overall risk profile. Fortunately, many of the newer therapies for HIV appear to be less likely to induce some of these metabolic adverse effects. It's important to note the treatment of the whole patient living with HIV as opposed to just the condition. We often witness higher rates of smoking among individuals with HIV, and it's also crucial to note the historical and present-day stigma of people living with HIV and also race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, and gender identities face when receiving health care. Many of these overlapping identities, such as Black or African-American patients or other sexual and gender minorities, unfortunately experience higher rates of social determinants of health, minority stress, healthcare avoidance, often driven from negative experiences. These can delay care and perpetuate health disparities, particularly related to cardiovascular disease. So Laura, let's, let's take a look at the Reprieve study. The study was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in August 2023. 
And its official title is Patabostatin to Prevent Cardiovascular Disease and HIV Infection. And, and we provide a link to the original paper on our website. But can you give us a synopsis of the study and some of the key findings? The randomized trial to prevent vascular events in HIV, or reprieve, was a prospective randomized placebo-controlled trial. It was designed to investigate whether statin use prevents atherosclerotic cardiovascular events in people living with HIV who are at a low to moderate risk of having a cardiovascular event. Participants with a diagnosis of HIV receiving stable antiretroviral therapy were included in the trial. Participants were aged 40 to 75 and had an ASCVD risk of 15% or lower, according to the pooled cohort equation. Individuals with statin use in the preceding 90 days or a history of ASCVD were excluded. Nearly 8,000 participants were randomized in a one-to-one fashion to receive moderate-intensity patavastatin 4 mg daily or placebo. Patavastatin was selected due to its lack of interactions with agents used in antiretroviral therapy. Per the discretion of the participant's primary care provider or site investigator, patavastatin or placebo could be discontinued and replaced by clinically appropriate statin therapy if indicated. Over half patients enrolled were non-white and nearly one-third were female. The median age was 50 years and the median 10-year ASCVD risk score was 4.5%. The primary outcome measured the time to event of the occurrence of a major adverse cardiovascular event, or MACE, consisting of a composite of cardiovascular death, myocardial infarction, stroke, TIA, peripheral arterial ischemia, hospitalization for unstable angina, revascularization of a coronary, carotid, or peripheral artery, or death from an undetermined cause. Secondary outcomes included a composite of MACE or death from any cause, individual components of the primary MACE outcome, death from any cause, LDL and non-HDL cholesterol, and pre-specified safety events. The trial was stopped early after finding a lower incidence of MACE in those assigned to the patavastatin group compared to placebo over a median follow-up of five years. Approximately a 35% reduction in the primary composite outcome was observed in the intervention group. This reduction in risk was largely driven by the occurrence of first MACE or death and first cardiac ischemia or MI. Statistically significant reductions in the occurrence of first MACE were observed in several predefined subgroups, including participants with an ASCVD risk score of 5 to 10%, patients aged 60 or greater, absence of hypertension, baseline LDL cholesterol of less than 130 milligrams per deciliter, and antiretroviral therapy duration of 10 years or greater. Diabetes and myalgia or myopathy were observed at a greater rate in patients assigned to patavastatin, though the incidence of non-fatal serious adverse events was similar across the groups. Laura, the, the reprieve study was randomized, prospective, placebo-controlled. So it's, it's a well-designed clinical trial and follows all of the gold standards we'd expect from a cardiovascular outcome study. But I'm wondering what you perceive to be the strengths and weaknesses of this study. And I'm also wondering what you make of the subgroup analysis. Are there any surprises that might merit additional research? We identified several strengths of reprieve, the first being that despite ample observational evidence demonstrating that patients living with HIV are at a greater risk for ASCVD, Reprieve is the first large-scale, prospective, randomized, placebo-controlled trial to investigate the benefit of statin therapy in this population. 
patients enrolled were relatively diverse across gender, race, ethnicity, and geographic location. Inclusion of such participants allows us to apply the study results to a large global population of people living with HIV aged 40 to 75 receiving ART at a low to moderate ASCVD risk. Additionally, the population of people living with HIV was notable given that nearly half of the individuals had a Nader CD4 count of less than 200 cells per cubic millimeter, and about 30% of patients had a baseline CD4 count of 500 or less. Viral load was suppressed in about 87% of patients. This allows these results to be applied to a wide range of patients with HIV. With that being said, one population the data may not be widely applicable to is individuals identifying as transgender or gender diverse. Despite experiencing a higher incidence of HIV, few gender-diverse patients were enrolled in the trial. Results of the study were also not stratified by ART regimen, thereby serving as a potential confounder since differences in cardiovascular risk are observed across regimens. Additionally, patients living with HIV often report higher rates of substance use and alcohol use disorder. These factors were not accounted for when interpreting the results. I was also intrigued by the results of the subgroup analysis. For example, why patients without hypertension, lower LDL cholesterol, and longer duration on ART appear to benefit more from statin initiation. I would hope future studies would also account for confounders we mentioned earlier in the subgroup analysis, such as specific ART regimen and other concurrent conditions or social factors. So Joe, I think the study provides clear and compelling evidence that statin therapy is very effective in this population. By my calculation, the number needed to treat is around 39 patients to prevent one major cardiovascular event in five years. And that number rivals the NNT we see with the use of statins in the setting of secondary prevention in patients with established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. And it seems to me that HIV is a pretty powerful risk factor. And similar to type 2 diabetes, perhaps we should be recommending statin therapy for most, if not all, patients with HIV infection. Are there particular patients with HIV that you believe really should receive statin therapy? Or perhaps we should reframe our thinking and talk about who should not receive a statin. And, and lastly, do you believe there is anything special about pitavastatin? Or should we expect similar benefits from other statins like rosuvastatin and atorvastatin? It's long been known that we should likely be managing ASCVD risk for patients in a more proactive manner. However, the overall rates of statin prescribing for primary prevention is extremely low in patients with HIV, without diabetes, or without a history of ASCVD. When considering how to apply this information broadly to patient care, it's notable that the ASCVD risk score stratifications used in the study differed significantly from those outlined in the AHA-ACC multi-society guidelines. Rather than stratifying ASCVD risk as low or less than 5%, borderline 5% to 7.5%, or intermediate 7.5% to 20%, the ASCVD risk in the reprieve trial was stratified into alternate groups of 0 to 2.5%, 2.5 to less than 5 5 to 10%, or greater than than 10%. This change in risk grouping does complicate some of the application of the results to those traditionally specified as low, borderline, and intermediate risk with current guidelines. Given how impactful it is to see the powerful results of a 35% reduction in the primary outcome, 
given the very low ASCVD risk of the cohort, clinicians need to begin considering the results of the study in practice beyond the current gold standard guidelines. For example, in my opinion, the results of the study should prompt clinicians to, at a minimum, begin the shared decision-making conversation in patients living with HIV about ASCVD risk and statins as one of the methods to reduce such risk, particularly in those aged 40 to 75. While this study used patavastatin, given the limited drug-drug interactions with this agent and concurrent ART therapy, many patients may be eligible for different statins based on their individual regimens. Many of our commonly used statins can likely be used in patients living with HIV with some exceptions. For example, if a moderate-intensity statin is desired, agents such as patavastatin or a lower dose for suvastatin often have fewer drug-drug interactions through CYP enzymes. If a high-intensity statin is desired based on other person-centered risk factors, resuvastatin 20 milligrams may be an appropriate choice. It's important to note that patients using protease inhibitors should avoid statins such as simvastatin and lovastatin, and while non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors may have some drug-drug interactions with statins, These typically do not exclude the use of statins and should prompt close monitoring for adverse effects such as myalgias. I'm eager to see the results of this put into practice, both in specialty infectious disease settings as well as primary care. Primary care is where many of these conversations about statins and primary prevention of ASCVD occur. And as mentioned earlier, HIV is being managed in primary care more often than ever. Of course, pharmacists can play a crucial role in helping increase statin use in this population, similar to how we've seen through other population health initiatives, such as people with diabetes or people with ASCVD. It's exciting to see how this could also be true for patients living with HIV as well. Well, Laura, Joe, thanks so much for being here today and recording the podcast with me. I strongly encourage our audience to read the commentary posted on the iPhonerx website and the original study. HIV infection and its treatment appear to increase cardiovascular risk very substantially, but fortunately, statin therapy appears to be quite effective. Should we be targeting patients with HIV infection, similar to patients with diabetes in our population health initiatives? I think so. Has this data changed what you're doing in your practice? Well, just head on over to iformerx.org, sign in, and leave a comment. Tell us what you're doing. Only members of iFormerX can leave comments and use the interactive feature, so sign up and become a member today. And if you are a board-certified pharmacist, you can earn board recertification and continuing education credit for listening to this podcast and reading the written commentary. We've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to create the Evidence-Based Literature Evaluation Series, which is part of their board prep and recertification program. To learn more, just click on the link just below the written commentary on our website. And lastly, I want to extend my thanks to Christine Schumacher and Liz Vandrill for maintaining our Diabetes Mellitus clinical trial and guideline resource page, which is no easy task because things are evolving so fast in this therapeutic space. Christy and Liz have been loyal iFormerX members and have introduced their residents and students to iFormerX, and I've asked them to peer review commentaries, and they've provided many constructive comments and truly enhanced the content on our website. So many thanks to Christy and Liz for your contributions to iFormerX and, and to our profession. 
I'm so grateful to have knowledgeable, dedicated, and caring colleagues like you. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off.